All right, thank you. I just love the, uh, man, I love the lyrics of that. I don't know if it was the first verse, like, all the, the, the wounds this world left on my soul, I'll be free uh, and I'll be whole, or I think is how it, is how it goes. I, I don't have it before me, but um, if, I don't think you're going to live life very long in this world and, uh, before you have wounds left on your soul um, from living in this broken place. And so thank, thank God that he sent Jesus for us. Um, you know, if you're just joining us, I had mentioned um, in my community meditation that we are studying through the book of First Samuel, and we're in First Samuel chapter 12. And and First Samuel, like uh, chronicles for us, the the establishment of the monarchy in the nation of Israel, and and the transition of time from like the period of the judges until the period where they had kings over them. And it really speaks to a lot of those issues that that we face as God's people about like who we trust in and, 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 and who we rally under and what's really going to make a difference in this world. And, and last week we saw that, that, the, that God had chosen Saul to be the, the king over the nation of Israel, even though Saul was, was, even though their desire for a king was because they had rejected God. And and we saw last week that that God had delivered His people through Saul. That there was this that, that the nation of Israel rallied underneath Him, and um, and that the, what we're gonna what, the last two verses, the one verse that I didn't read in my community community meditation says that they rallied to Gilgal. They went to Gilgal and they had a big celebration there about the victory that God had given them. And this 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 morning we're going to be looking at, at chapter twelve at at a. Uh, at Samuel's address to the nation of Israel there at Gilgal during their party or presumably at the end of the party because there's part of this, his message that, that would kind of be a party killer. Um, but he gives this message to them at the end of their party and it really kind of addresses for us those questions of like, you know, what do we truly depend upon? Who do we truly, truly hope for? What's really going to make a difference for us? And how do we come back? Like it, it talks about renewing the kingdom. When you find yourself wandering, you know, we sing a lot and we speak a lot about the Lordship of Christ and, and it doesn't matter where you bury me because I trust in Jesus completely. And then you wake up on Monday morning and you're dealing with like getting your kids off to school. You're dealing with going to work and a bad boss. At least Eric deals with that. You're, you're. <laughs> You're dealing with, uh, you know, you're dealing with like going to school and having to face those teachers and those kids in the hallway and all of those things. And, then, and the question really is, is like, who, like, what do we really rely upon? You know, and Samuel's address is going to be to the nation of Israel and, and speak at that for us. And it's going to break out into four sections. It's, it's going to break out like the integrity of Samuel in verses 1 through 5, the righteousness of God in verses 6 through 11, the warning to Israel in verses 12 through 18, and then the pathway forward. You know, it really kind of bringing to us like when you find yourself caught in that place of having wandered, like how do you get back? Like what's the path forward for you? So if you could stand with me, I'm going to go ahead and read. I think I'll read the whole chapter because it's, it's kind of like this dialogue. It's mostly a message. Um, I'll read the, the whole chapter and then we'll like pray and we'll dive into the text together. This is God's word for his church, 1 Samuel chapter 12. Actually, I'm going to start reading at verse 14 of chapter 11. It says, Then Samuel said to the people, Come and let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they also offered sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. 
Then Samuel said to all Israel, Behold, I have listened to your voice and all that you have said to me, and I have appointed a king over you. And now here is the king walking before you. But I am old and gray, and behold, my sons are with you. And I have walked before you from my youth even to this day. Here I am. Bear witness against me before the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken or whose donkey have I taken or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed or from whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? I will restore it to you. And they said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, the Lord is witness against you and his anointed is witness this day that you have found nothing in my hand. And they said, he is witness. Then Samuel said to the, to the people, it is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. So now take your stand that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did for you and your fathers. When Jacob went to Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord, their God. So he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the army of Hazor, and into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against him. And they cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Asherah. But now deliver us from the hands of our enemies and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jerubbabel and Bedan and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around so that you lived in security. When you saw Nahash, the king of the sons of Ammon, came up against you, you said to me, No, but a king shall reign over us, although the Lord your God was your king. Now, therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen, whom you have asked for, and behold, the Lord has set a king over you. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and listen to his voice and not rebel against the command of the Lord, then both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. And if you will not listen to the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the command of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. Even now, take your stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is it not the wheat harvest today? I will call to the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. Then you will know and see that your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord by asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. Then all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God so that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil by asking for ourselves a king. And Samuel said to the people, do not fear, you have committed all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And you must not turn aside, for then you would go after futile things, which cannot profit or deliver, because they are futile. But the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you, but I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word, and I thank you for your faithfulness to as your, as your people. And I thank you for Jesus Christ, who is our true king and, and is, is the true solution to our problems. And Father, I just pray that you would empower me this morning amidst my frailties to, to exalt him. I pray these things in Jesus' name.
Amen. You can be seated. You know, as we start off this section, you know, um, the, the first few verses kind of like re- really establish for us, and Samuel's establishing for us this a, a couple different things. The first of all is he announces this transition that's going to happen from his leadership over the nation of Israel to Saul's leadership. If you if you look in verses 1 and 2, he says in verse 1, basically, that I've appointed a king over you just like you asked. And then he says in verse 2, the, these couple things. He says, and now... Here is the king walking before you, but I am old and gray. So what he's saying is like King Saul, who we find out later on is 40 years old, and and he's standing before them. He had just delivered the nation of Israel this great victory over their enemies. And he's saying he's standing before you or walking before you. And that, that expression means that he's acting on your behalf. Like King Saul is the one who is acting on your behalf, but I am old and gray. Like he's like, I am coming to the end of my life. I am passing the baton to King Saul, whom you asked for. And then he goes on and all my sons are with you. And then he says, um, end of verse two, and I have walked before you from my youth even to this day. And we, if you know, if you've been with us through our story of First Samuel, you know that Samuel, from really from the time he was born, was dedicated to the Lord, and from when, from when he was a child, like impacted, like led the nation of Israel, and and had an influence on the nation of Israel. His entire life, he walked with the Lord and served the nation. You know, and he's saying, "But now my time is done, and I'm passing it on." You know, what he does then is really interesting is he invites this reflection upon his, his own ministry. In verse 3, look what he says. He says, here I am, bear witness against me. It's pretty bold words. He's setting up this courtroom scene. And he says, I'm going to put myself on the stand. Anyone here, bear witness against me. And then he goes through this list of things. And he says... Um, Whose ox have I taken or whose donkey have I taken? Have I taken any of your possessions? Or um, whom have I defrauded? Have I ripped any of you off? Have I oppressed any of you? Have I taken a bribe and obscured justice that I was supposed to do? He says, if, if, if I've done anything to any of you, speak now and I will make it right. It's interesting what Samuel's doing. I think he's trying to accomplish three things. For one, he wants to finish well. You know, he's, he's served the nation of Israel from his youth all the way until old age. And as he's transitioning leadership and kind of putting a closure on his formal ministry to the nation of Israel, he wants to finish well and make sure there's nothing hanging out there that he hasn't taken care of. And what a great example for us as like older men, because I am old and gray. Just had my birthday. Um, if you want to send gifts, it's not too late. Um, <laughs> March 28th, if you want to write it down for next year. <laughs> Is that shameless, like anti-Samuel things right there? <laughs> Whose ox have I taken, right? He's old and gray, and he wants to, like for us as older men, that, to finish well. Like he's going to run through the tape and, and serve God faithfully his whole life. But he's, a, he's an example to you, young men too, because it, he started from his youth up, he says. Like he didn't just end his life like serving the Lord. He started his life serving the Lord. In fact, a life of faithfulness at the end can only happen pretty much if you've been faithful like leading up to that point. 
it's never too late to start. We'll talk about that you know, a little bit later in the message. But you younger men, Samuel should be an example of you too. Like, no matter how old you are, men or women, and serve the Lord with all your heart. That's what he says later on, right? Follow him, pursue him. Don't waste time on all these things that don't matter. He wanted to finish well. The second thing I think he's doing in verse 3 is that he's putting his sons on notice. I mean, he mentioned the fact that his sons were out there in the congregation. And, uh, and if, you, if you've been with us in our story, his sons did all of those things that he was asking about. His sons did take people's stuff. They did rip people off. They did take bribes and they obscured justice. And so what Samuel's doing is he's submitting himself to the Lord and to the king because he talks about the anointed. That's a reference to King Saul. He's submitting himself to the king saying, like, I, have, I am accountable to not only God who I can't see, but now to this king whom you can see. And, and if I've ripped anybody off, like, speak now and let's make that right. I can just imagine his sons out there who, like, that's what they were known for. Probably squirming in their seats realizing, like, oh, we probably need to deal with some things ourselves. He was, he was wanting to finish well. He was putting his sons on notice that there will be a day of reckoning. But then he does something interesting, is that he, he uses his comments to actually put the, the nation of Israel on trial. Look what he says in verse... Um, and we'll look at verses 4 and 5. The nation of Israel respond to him then. You have not defrauded us or oppressed us or take anything from any man's hand. And he said to them, the Lord is witness against you. You see that? He's not just saying the Lord is witness, like affirming me. He's saying the Lord is witness against you this day. And the king... Uh, where is it? What did I just say? Oh, verse, verse 5. The Lord is witness against you, and his anointed is witness this day that you have found nothing in my hand. And then they, they probably missed what he was saying about God witnessing against them, because then they reply with, it's actually in the Hebrew, it's just one word, witness. It's kind of like word, right? Like, yeah, you didn't take anything out of us. You're completely innocent, Samuel. You have complete integrity. You finished your course well. And then they're like, but we're, like, they're probably talking amongst themselves, like whispering, like, did he just say witness against us? What's he talking about witness against us? I thought Samuel was the one that was on trial. Now, all of a sudden, like, there's this witness against us? Well, he just kind of lets it hang there for a little bit. And then he starts talking to us about the righteousness of God. And, and it's, it's really interesting because... Look what Samuel says, starting in verse um, 6. He says, then Samuel said to the people... Um, it is the Lord who appointed, who appointed Moses and, uh, let me, that's not where I want to be. Oh yeah, I guess it must be. Oh yeah, it is verse six. It is the Lord who has appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. So now take your stand that I may plead with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did for you and for your fathers. Now he says, guess what nation? I'm getting off the stand, and now we're going to put you on the stand. We're going to put you on trial, but I'm not going to like start by talking about your like sins. What does he say? I'm going to talk about all of God's righteous deeds that he did for you. And what we're going to see in just a minute is he's going to, he's going to speak about God's faithfulness and his righteousness and his acts towards them of deliverance. That's what he talks about when he puts them on trial. 
what he's saying is like, let's talk about how faithful God was to you and how you responded to him. And I think what Samuel does here is really interesting for us because I think oftentimes we, we dramatically underestimate the transforming power of God's grace. You know, oftentimes we think maybe we just need more law. Like we need to tell people more about what, what, what they're doing wrong, right? We get to be like critical and judgmental and, and rebuking people all the time. And that'll make everybody love Jesus more. That was sarcasm. But Samuel's like, like let, no, he's like, let's reflect on God's deeds. Let's reflect on his grace and his mercy and his faithfulness to you as a people. It's because of this, because a heart that grasps God's righteousness that are, that's reflected in uh, his, his goodness towards them and his grace towards them and his deeds towards them, a heart that got, grasps God's righteousness and grace and mercy is a heart that's moved to humility and worship. Let me just say that again. A heart that grasps God's righteousness towards it, towards you, is a heart that responds in humility and worship. I mean, somebody mentioned this at the men's retreat last yesterday. Uh, Romans 12.1 basically says that Paul, after talking about all of God's righteousness towards us in the gospel, he says this in Romans 12.1. I think I've got it on the screen because I don't have it in my notes. There it is. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, brethren, by the mercies of God. Do you see that? By the mercies of God. To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. He's like, we just spent 11 chapters talking about God's mercy and his grace and his righteousness. So what? So, so respond the way people respond and give your life in worship and in humility to Christ completely. A heart that grasps God's righteousness towards his people and his faithfulness and his mercy is a heart that responds in humility and worship. You know, to do that, he begins in verse 7, um, no, verse 8, to talk about their, their life in Egypt and before they came into the promised land. In verse 8, look what he says. He says, when Jacob went into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and settled them in this place. What he's saying is like, look back to the very beginning of our nation. When, when Jacob brought the, just the, the small handful of people down into Egypt and they lived in Egypt and, and everybody, everybody that he was talking to knew the story that they fell under slavery. They, they did what? They cried out to the Lord. And what did the Lord do? He sent Moses and Aaron to deliver them. And he brought them out and he brought them to this place. Like he's like, man, when, when you cried out to the Lord... He heard you, and he rescued you, and he brought you home. Right? And then he goes in verse 8, and he, no, verse 9, and he talks about the people that had lived in the generations before them in the land. Look at verse 9. But they forgot the Lord their God. All of a sudden, here was a bunch of hearts that didn't grasp God's faithfulness and righteousness and grace and mercy to them. They forgot God. And what did they do? So he sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the army of Hazor, and, into the, and he brought. So God brings in, like his faithfulness to them, like took a more stern face, 
He brought in these foreign armies to oppress his people to do what? To expose their sin. Because look what happens. Verse 10. And they cried out to the Lord and said, we have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and have served the Baals and the Ashtoreth, these false gods. But now deliver us from the hands of our enemies and we will serve you. So again, the nation of Israel, I mean, like you look at the pattern here. Nation of Israel is like slaves in Egypt. What do they do? They cry out to the Lord. God sends Moses and Aaron to deliver them. Here, they're in the promised land. They, they fall under the oppression of the enemy again. What do they do? They cry out to the Lord. God sends deliverers, and he names a bunch of them there, to deliver them from the hand of their oppressors. See, with, with the pattern? Like, what, what Samuel's doing is God is reinforcing them. God has been faithful to you every single time you cried out to him. He has always delivered you. That's God's righteous deeds towards you as his people, Samuel's saying. God is completely righteous. But then in verse 12, he, he doesn't speak about the nation of Israel that was in captivity in Egypt. He doesn't speak about the nation of Israel that had gone before them in the land. But he starts to speak about to the, directly to them. And this is the challenge to the nation of Israel. Our third point this morning. He says this. When you saw that Nahash... When you saw that Nahash, the kings of the sons of Ammon, came up against you, you said to me, no, but a king will reign over us. What are they saying no to? If you look at the previous context, they're saying no to what? They're saying no to crying out to the Lord. They're saying no to like seeing him provide a deliverer. They're saying no to being rescued. They're saying no to serving him. In fact, they want to have a king to serve, a human king to reign over them. And so they're going to say no to God. They're going to say no to crying out. They're just going to say no to a deliverer. And they're going to trust a human king instead. No, but a king will reign over us. Although the Lord, your God, was your king, is how verse 12 ends. He's like... God has never, ever let you down. Every time you cried to him, he responded, he sent a deliverer, and he rescued you. And yet, when, even though you have that long history of God's faithfulness and God's righteousness to you, when Nahash, the king of Ammon, came up against you, you said no to, all, to God, no to his rescue, and you trusted a human king in himself. This is where it gets really awkward then. Because imagine, like, remember, this was a big party in honor of the victory of Saul over the Hamanites. And Samuel's, like, preaching this message, and he just basically told the nation of Israel, he did tell the nation of Israel, that Saul, your king, is the embodiment of your rejection of God. Right? And then he says this in verse, in verse 13. Like, imagine Saul standing right here. Now, therefore, here is the king whom you have asked for, whom you have chosen. Like, if I'm Saul, I'm like, oh, that's like a little bit harsh. <laughs> I'm the embodiment of all of the rejection of Israel. And he's like, and look, you traded God and his rescue and his deliverance and his faithfulness for this? Here's the king that you asked for. Here's the king that you've chosen. And then it says this. Um, what verse was I on? <laughs> 
I'm having a hard time this morning. And behold, the Lord has set a king over you. I don't know if you feel the tension in those verses, but you have the tension in these verses of like Saul is clearly a, a result and consequence of the nation's disobedience to God, the nation's dis, like uh, rejection of God, the nation saying no to God's rescue and God being king. And then it says, but God put him over you. In fact, earlier in the text, it referred to him as God's anointed. So in in one sense, you have like Saul being the embodiment of everything the nation wanted for in their rejection of God. In the other sense, you have like, and God gave him, gave it to them. There's such a tension there. You know, I think it's a tension that we often deal with. Like, what do you do when you're rebelling against God and when you're rejecting God and when you're pursuing things and all of a sudden you wake up one morning and, and you wake up like, like with the consequences of your sin, like the, the long-term consequences of sin, like Saul doesn't stop being king after today. What do you deal with it when God gives you exactly what you want and you're stuck with the consequences of your sin and you're stuck in your like disobedience? I think it's a question that we all like can relate to at some point where sometimes we wake up and we're like, oh man, I should have listened to the Lord sooner because he promised that we sow, we will reap what we sow and I don't like the harvest that I'm reaping. You know what Samuel does is, is he now he addresses the nation of Israel in this challenge to them and he tells them, Basically, the message is what you do when you find yourself in that situation is that you do what you should have done all along, right? Look what he says. Verse, um, verse 14. If you will fear the Lord and serve him. He's like, you, you rejected this serving the Lord, but now return to serving him, right? If you fear the Lord, if you show him the respect and the honor that he deserves as your king and as your sovereign and as the, as the sovereign of the universe. If you commit yourself to serving him, fear him and serve him and listen to his voice and listen to his word. And the, the, the place to start if you find yourself stuck in the consequences of your sin is return to the Lord. Do what you should have done all along. Respect him. Serve him. Listen to his word. And then he goes on and expresses it negatively. And do not rebel against the command command of the Lord. Then both you and also the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God. What he's saying there is like, and if, if you want your king to follow the Lord, and if you want to follow the Lord, it really boils down to these simple things. Fear him. Serve him. Listen to his word. Do what you should have been doing all along. Verse 15, and if you will not listen to the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord um, will be against you as it was against your father. Some of your translation says, as it, and, and against your king. What he's basically saying there, it's, it's a longer explanation than I have time for this morning, is that don't expect things to go well with you if you continue to do the things that you've always done in rebellion against God. It'll go poorly for your king. It'll go poorly for you. And, and 
your God's hand will be against you. And then, then Samuel, I'm jealous of verses 16 and 17 because I wish I could do this. Samuel's like, and if you don't believe me, I'm going like, to let God like weigh in on this. In verse 16, he says, I'm going to call out to the Lord. He says, it's the wheat harvest. And like for us, it would be like, we're, we're like in the middle of August. It never rains, right? In the middle of August. It's this beautiful sunny day. We're having outdoor services. And he says, and I'm going to call and the Lord's going to send thunder and rain. So there's this huge party going on. They're all listening to Samuel, wondering when they can get back to like the party. He calls to the Lord and then out of nowhere, like, like thunderstorm, lightning and rain. <laughs> like comes down upon everybody. And what, what God was doing after Samuel said like that you need to follow the Lord your God and, and, and realize that Saul is just a like vassal king and that you have an ultimate king. God is saying, amen, Samuel, right? By sending thunder and lightning and rain. Verse 16, so Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. So the first thing that they were supposed to accomplish happened, right? They began to fear the Lord again and to respect him as the sovereign one, expect him as the one who's in charge. They feared the Lord. That's where we kind of get into like the, the path forward. Verse 19. Here's their response then. After, the, after they come to this place of fearing the Lord, like this challenge to them, like either follow the Lord or meet your end. Verse 19. Then all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God so that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil by asking for ourselves a king. You know, there's some honesty in their response there because they don't say the Lord our God. They say, the Lord, your God, Samuel. Like they're recognizing that they have gone far from God to the point where they're not even worshiping him. They worshiped like a political solution to their problem instead. And they're like, Samuel, like we agree that we've committed this great evil by asking for ourselves a king. And I'm assuming Saul's still standing there awkwardly. So pray for us, Samuel, so that God doesn't kill us. Look at Samuel's response. And this is just a beautiful response. And it probably should short circuit our minds a little bit. Verse 20. And Samuel said to the people, do not fear. You have committed all this evil. Think about that for a second. Do not fear. You have committed all of this evil. You are fully guilty. God weighed in and testified like you have rejected him. So don't fear. I mean, do you feel that? How often do we like, I mean, our, our lives are, are filled with this like disbelief in the grace and mercy of God. But Samuel understood something like, and we're going to see this in a minute, but because of who God is, like we don't have to fear even though we commit great evil. You know, our heart's natural inclination is when we're faced with the wickedness in our heart is, is to, is all sorts of things, right? What is it that you do? When you come face to face with the wickedness of your heart, 
that stuff that just you and the Lord know about, that you hide from everybody else. How do you cope with that? You know, most of the time we don't believe that there's a, a real solution and our disbelief is evident in all the things that we do. And we'll go after all sorts of stuff. Maybe you'll, rather than having to deal with like the weight of the silence for 10 seconds when something's not demanding your attention, you just immediately pull out your Instagram feed. Right? Bill laughs because um, he doesn't doesn't even know what the internet is. (laughs) (laughs) Smoke signals. Smoke signals. (laughs) Or maybe you, like, rather than deal with, like, the emptiness of your soul, you pursue success and... People's, people's praise or identity in, in your kids or identity in your hobbies or identity in your job or identity in your marriage or identity in your, right? Or maybe you just try to numb it all through like alcohol or drugs or, and I'm sure that there's about a, any other ones. Anybody else have one they want to share? Our hearts are a never-ceasing factory of idols to trust in beside the Lord. But Samuel's statement doesn't make sense on the surface. You have committed this great evil, so do not fear. Look what he says. He goes on. Verse 20. Then Samuel said to the people, do not fear. You have committed all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. You must not turn aside, for then you would go after futile things which cannot profit or deliver because they are futile. What he's saying is our heart's natural inclination when we're confronted with our sin is to, is to fear and then run after everything else. He says, like, don't swerve off to the right. Don't swerve off to the left. Keep following the Lord and serving him because he's the only one that can profit and deliver. He's the deliverer. He delivered you from Egypt. He delivered you like when you were in the land and he can deliver you today. Don't swerve off to anything else. And then he says this, and this is what's critical for us this morning. And you must not turn aside for then you would go after futile things which cannot profit or to deliver because they are futile. And here it is. For the Lord will not abandon his people on account of his great name because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for himself. Do you, do you see why Samuel's saying you don't need to fear because anytime you cry out to the Lord, he'll respond to you. It's not because of your faithfulness or your righteousness or anything you bring to the table. It's because of God's faithfulness. He will not abandon his people when they cry out to him. So don't swerve off the path. Like keep following the Lord. Keep like serving the Lord. Because he will not abandon his people. He will send a deliverer. You know, and then he goes on. Verse 23. 
He says, moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. He circles back around to their request to pr- for him to pray for them. He's like, yeah, I'll pray for you. Like, it's not a big deal. But I will instruct you in the good and right way. Ultimately, it's not about my prayer for you. He's saying, it's about whether or not you're going to follow the Lord yourself. I'm going to instruct you in what you need to do. And he says this, only fear the Lord. Serve him in truth with all your heart. And listen, four, consider what great things he has done for you. He's circling back around to the idea of like, like understanding the grace of God, that the righteousness of God that's been demonstrated in his deeds for you. Consider, he says, consider what great things God has done for you. I mean, if you see the pattern in this text, and I hope you pick up the pattern already, they were in slavery. What did God do to deliver them? Anybody? He sent Moses and Aaron. He sent what? Deliverers. They were in oppression in the land. They cried out to him. What did he do? He sent judges to deliver them. He's faithful to his people. His people cry out to him. And the ultimate one he sends to deliver us is Jesus. In fact, 1 John 4.14 says this. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. So don't swerve off to the right or to the left. Don't go after futile things that cannot, like, say, profit or deliver. But serve the Lord with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. And the deliverance from the curse of the Philistines or from the curse of slavery in Egypt is, is nothing compared to the deliverance of sin, of the curse of sin and the power of sin over us. You know, and if you're caught in that place of like getting what you want and being stuck in your sin, like Samuel's words are like, man, follow the Lord with all your heart because he's sent his deliverer, Jesus Christ, to save you. You don't need to fear. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4, I think I have it on the screen. Hebrews chapter 4 says this. It's not talking about Samuel praying for him. We have a different high priest. He says this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. A great statement. Jesus is the one who's interceding for us. Jesus is the one who's offered the one sacrifice for us for, for the sins of all time. Jesus is the one who who uh, has passed through the heavens and gone into the very presence of God to intercede for us on our behalf. He says this, let us hold fast our confession. Don't give up on the gospel. Don't swerve to the right or the left. Hold fast to it because it's your only hope. Then he says this, for we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses the one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. I think it goes on. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 
Don't swerve to the right or swerve to the left, but draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. Do not fear. You have committed this great evil, but Jesus has paid the price for it. God sent his son to be the savior of the world. You know, so Aaron, why don't you and the team come back up and I don't want you to miss the, the cause and effect at the at the end of First uh, Samuel 12 there. He says, fear the Lord, serve him with all your heart, for consider what great things God has done for you. God's great things that he has done for us precede our, our fear and our service, our respect and our service. Like, that's our response. We don't earn God doing great things for us. God does great things for us. And if we grasp the great things he has done, we'll respond in, in full devotion. We'll serve him with all of our hearts. We'll respect and honor and fear him. We'll be about his purposes. We'll encourage each other until that day when he returns. And so as... As Aaron's leading us in the closing song, I just encourage you to to consider what great things God has done for you. If you want to sing and let the song kind of um, move your heart that way, that's great. If you just want to just think and think back to the story of your life and those things that God has done to save you and deliver you over and over and over again, confess those times when you've chosen to forget that and cry out to other things. At the end, and, and let's just praise him and serve him with all of our hearts because of the great things he's done. You know, that song is taken from Lamentations 3. Lamentations is, is a book that was written as, the, as all of the weight of the rebellion of the nation of Israel was crushing down upon them. And, and look at how it starts. This I call to mind. I consider right? The great things that God has done for us. Therefore, I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Let me pray. Father, just thank you for Jesus Christ, who is the perfect expression of your righteous deeds towards us in sending a deliverer to us as your people. And I thank you that you're mercies are new every morning, that your faithfulness is great, that your compassions never fail, and that you always respond to your people as they cry to you. And and Father, I would just ask that for us as your church, that you would um, cause us to follow you and pursue you and serve you and fear you with all of our heart. Not to swerve to the right or to the left, because those things don't profit, they don't deliver. Only Jesus Christ can, can give us what we truly long for. And and Father, if there's anyone here who's never like placed their faith in your son, who's never experienced your faithfulness and your deliverance, I just ask that you would, you would bring conviction of them, um, conviction of sin upon them and cause them to confess it to you and cry out to you so that they could experience the, the life that comes from your deliverer. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.